Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you willing? Hey gents. Welcome to another episode of Apex Masculinity, a high-performance men's coaching outfit designed to help you show up strong in every area of life. Raising the bar in fatherhood, marriage, finance, business, health, and all things manly. Gentlemen, let's begin. All right, guys, my guest today is Candice Smiley, founder and host of Create the Ripple podcast, social marketer, public speaker, blogger, minimalist, and mom. Candice, happy to have you on the show. <laughs> I am so glad to be here, Nick. Thank you so much. Yeah, so keeping with the theme of the show, um, leveraging tragedy and trauma from our past. Not letting that hinder us or sideline us, but actually letting it propel and launch us, using it as fuel to launch us into a successful, highly rewarding life, mm -hmm. just overflowing with love and abundance and unlimited success. I want people to know that there are other people out there that have gone through some tragic stuff and that have gone on to build an amazing life. So Let's just dive right in, like walk us through your past, how it all got started, and then we'll get into what you do today. I had a pretty normal childhood. I grew up and, uh, you know, loving parents, grew up on a farm, home educated, but relatively sheltered, I think, which didn't necessarily set me up for some of the challenges I was going to run into. And at 17, I was sexually assaulted by my then boyfriend. This was especially traumatic for me because A, he was somebody I trusted, right? So I didn't see that coming. And up until then, I had grown up in a very conservative Christian home. And so the impact of that, both on me emotionally and just sort of how it shifted, how I saw myself was significant. Um, I had never been taught necessarily how to set powerful boundaries or how to speak up for myself, which was really uh, an interesting thing. And so I didn't say anything because I didn't want to make him feel uncomfortable, even though I was obviously very uncomfortable and ended up staying in that relationship for over two years before I finally found the courage to um, end it. And I didn't end it well, to be honest, it was kind of messy, but I just needed to get out. Sure. However, after that, um, you know, I didn't really know how to heal. I didn't know how to talk about it. One of the most horrendous things that was said to me is I was trying to tell somebody about it and they said, well, that happens to everybody. Wow. And yeah. And so it really just kind of shut me up because they were like, well, you think you're so special. Like it's no big deal. Get over it. I really wasn't able to get over it. Um, and I tried to, you know, keep living. I ended up going to university. I tried to get my life back on track, but I ended up going from, you know, guy to guy to guy, right? Like a lot of different people. Um, and just really couldn't find my groove. Of course, I wasn't choosing, you know, great partners <laughs> or boyfriends um, because I hadn't really dealt with any of the, the inside trauma blamed myself felt very wounded, very broken, very damaged goods. And uh, I think that was probably the most damaging of the whole thing is how I saw myself and the, the inner conversations that I have with myself. Um, I'm an introvert, so I don't necessarily enjoy large crowds or that kind of stuff, but I would often say to people, it's very, very loud in my mind, right? The monkey voices were very, very, very hard on me. <laughs> so fast forward a few years, I've chosen not so great boyfriends. I've gotten myself into a space where I'm with a partner who admits less than six months into the relationship that he uh, has cheated on me already. You'd think I would, you know, get the hint and maybe make a different choice, but no, I stay for four years. And at the end of that four years, uh, he leaves the country and me um, with a significant amount of debt. So now not only do I feel like I'm damaged goods, but also my credit is damaged and my whole life Life is basically feels like it's falling apart. Mm -hmm. um, so there was a lot of trust issues for me. Um, and by that point, there was quite a bit going on. And I mean, I mentioned in my story that one of the things I've always struggled with is depression. I'm highly intuitive. I'm highly creative, right? And one of the things that I really struggled with was suicide. And that's not something that a lot of people want to talk about, but I feel like it's really important to talk about it, um, mostly because that which we don't talk about tends to hide and shame and guilt. These are the things that will shut us up and make sure that we don't get the healing that we needed. Right. So things sort of culminated and I have 
reached out for some therapy. I have reached out for, you know, the support that I need. However, I get over that little hurdle, little hurdle, I get over that hurdle and I immediately find another narcissistic partner who now is saying, I'll take care of you. We'll create a space for you to get healed, right? All this other stuff. Mm -hmm. Fast forward a few years. (laughs) And I now need to leave that relationship and try to get divorced, which is still going on four years later. So all that to say, I didn't always necessarily end up in the right space or place. And the most powerful thing that I did for myself last year in 2020 is as the world shut down, I finally felt like I had the time, space, and energy to stop and get some healing, like really get some healing. And to be honest with you, Nick, I felt like if I stopped running from all of the things I didn't like, all the mistakes I'd made and actually felt all that grief, shame, you know, all of those negative emotions, I wasn't sure that I was going to make it out the other side, to be completely honest with you. Um, you know, I have a six-year-old daughter and so she's a big part that has really pushed me to be better because I know that how I'm interacting in the world, she's watching that. And that's a big deal. It sort of pushes you to, I can deal with all of this because I don't want her to have to go through anything like I did. I want her to hear my story and hear it powerfully and make different choices, (laughs) right? That sort of thing. That's leveraging right there. That's how we leverage our tragedies. And, and, and for our kids, the same thing with me dealing with an abusive stepfather and even my mom at times has really helped me to leverage that tragedy and be the best dad that I can be or that I know to be, you know what I mean? And if mm-hmm. in the scope of the grand scheme of things, I had to go through all of that so that three, these three kids wouldn't, you know, it still sucks, but it, you know, it's worth it. You know what I mean? I want to yeah. cycle back to yes. the sexual assault if I can. Good. Because it almost sounded like, and I don't want to put you on the spot here, but it almost sounded like the sexual assault is actually the inception or first traumatic experience that started this finding the wrong guy repeatedly thing that you're into. I I wonder if you've ever considered if it goes back further than that. Does it start there? How does, um, how's your relationship with your dad? It's awesome. My dad's Literally. my hero. Yeah. Okay, good. Where do you think, where do you think the attraction for this type of man comes from? Deep dive. I think, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm happy to deep dive. Um, I think the biggest piece was this gentleman. Um, we had a long distance relationship. So mm-hmm. up until this gentleman, any of the boys I had ever met knew my dad, they knew my grandpa, right. Mm -hmm. And nobody would, you know, do anything because there was sort of that bro code, right? Like, okay. uh, We're old school. So that was a big deal. And then when I met this gentleman, he said all the right things, but because I had only grown up in that more of a sheltered space. um, Right. I didn't have the awareness Yeah. So so he lands, you know, in Canada and within eight hours, I had lost all of that, what I would call, you know, purity, which is, it was gone. And I remember being flabbergasted and his, you know, all of the, the things that they say, right. Like, well, I've, you know, I've been waiting for this and you owe it to me and all those things that you hear about. I heard it. And I remember feeling totally lambasted by that and totally unprepared what was challenging was I also didn't know how to talk about it. Like I did not know how to talk about it, which I think is a challenge for a lot of victims. We don't know how to say it because I think we're afraid of, you know, I told you so um, we're stuck by shame. I used to be a singer. So before he came, my, the trajectory of my life was that I was going to go overseas to a, a creative college and I was going to pursue music as a career. Okay. I stopped singing the day I was assaulted. I literally, I couldn't speak people. Like you just stop talking. You stop singing. You stop smiling. I have a last name like smiley. So it was a big deal. I changed overnight, but people say, what's wrong. And I'd say nothing, nothing's wrong. And I remember feeling like it is so easy to lie to people because they're not actually interested in what's actually going on. Right. People are not, they don't want to hear the tough stuff and sit with you in it because it makes them uncomfortable. I've since learned that when people say, how did you get into that situation? It isn't always a accusatory 
statutory question. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's their own fear coming up. Like, how did you get into that situation so that they can avoid it Mm -hmm. or help someone else to avoid it? So it took a long time for that. And I think on some level, my dad knew that I wasn't safe with this human, (laughs) Um, but he didn't know how to help me to communicate it. And so we actually started fighting quite a bit and spent a couple of years not being in a great place because I didn't know how to show up and say, dad, I need you to rescue me. I I don't know how to get myself out of this situation. I need you to throw them out. I need you to write like help me figure this out and was, um, the, was the shame of the event of the loss of purity so to speak yeah. through this you didn't want to go to your dad and tell him exactly because again a fundamentalist christian home which i totally get yeah. because my wife and i are god-fearing people as well mm-hmm. and when and i wasn't trying to sit you know suggest anything with your relationship with your dad i just noticed that there's a lot of women out there that if if dad wasn't there, if there was no dad, or there was like a demeaning, you know, where the daughter just wants dad to notice them or to love them and, and connect with them, and that's not there, women will usually look for that in all the wrong places, you know what I mean? So going back to that, staying on that, if we can, just real quick, did you um, blame yourself at all? 100%. Did you um, wonder, did you wonder at all? And then you can, you can go into like, describe all that, but did you also wonder what God's opinion was yep. if you were being condemned or judged maybe by, you know, what happened? Because you didn't yep. say no, and you didn't put your foot down completely. You know, you kind of got, even though you were manipulated into it, in a sense, one could argue you were still kind of a willing participant. So now there's this feeling of I've let my parents down. I've let myself down. I haven't lived my core values. I've let God down because I know what this teaches. So now you're in this funk of just like self-loathing and condemnation about this one action. And it totally takes control of your life, your mindset, everything. And you said it was a couple of years you were stuck in that. I was, yeah. I did not know how to get out. And I felt like who would want me now? Right. Um, it, it was, I was shocked. And of course, a lot of people will say, well, it, it only happened once. Um, you know, it may not happen again. And it was, it was repeated. And then at some point you start to believe it. And, you know, I really, I enjoy, I enjoy, but part of my mission for sure is talking about the subtle abuse that happens in relationships Let's talk because about you that. don't know, well, you don't always see it coming. Like I didn't for sure. If he had come right out when we had first met and we met on a mission trip, right. If he had come out at that point and done anything where I would have seen this coming, right. So been overly, you know, attentive or any of these things, I would have like laid down the boundaries and we were like, Nope, right. I'm waiting for marriage. Like, don't even think about it. I've never been kissed. Like, no, it's not happening. Um, but he didn't, it was subtle. He was like, kind, considerate in my corner, right? He knew all of my beliefs. Um, and then just, it just happened, like I said. And so the subtle abuse, the gaslighting that happens where you think it's your fault. And that, that was very, very big thing in that relationship for sure. And certainly not the ones that followed was it was my fault. Mm-hmm. I'm doing this to you because you make me feel this way. It was all about that. And so I, I want to talk about that a lot with when people, when they come to me with this, they'll say, I have an experience and I'll say, it's not your fault. I don't care what he's saying. If you don't feel good inside when it's happening, then you're being told something. But even with, you know, fast forward to some of the relationships I had later on, I would see these patterns, right? I saw them a lot faster, but then what would happen is because I felt like I was damaged goods and I've done it again, I've tried to attract somebody better and they're the exact same person. I would internalize that. And I would literally just give up and be like, fine, whatever, take what you want. Everybody else has, right? It's my fault. I can't seem to fix myself. I'm broken. And so, yeah, the internal that was kicked off from that uh, was significant. Now, if I look back, I think Um, you know, because I was highly creative, um, you know, I went to my church where I thought I was going to be safe and they're, they're full of people. So there's no, no judgment, no frustration there anymore. Mm -hmm. But I went to them and I said, like, I don't think I can be on the worship team anymore because I'm not pure anymore. Mm -hmm. And what didn't happen was somebody going, how can we help you? What do you need? They just basically went, well, of course you're 18. You know, you made a dumb decision. And so they asked me to step down from worship, which I love. They asked me to step down from ministry. 
And so all of these things that were also paramount to who I thought I was and the life I wanted, I wanted to be a pastor's wife. It was gone. Like it was just, everything disappeared. And the one person who has never been held accountable is him. Sure. So we're going to let him go. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes, well, we're, yes we're gonna, we are. <laughs> yes. We're going to let him go because I actually have something in here in your bio that talks about practicing radical forgiveness. Yeah. But before we go there, just for the people that don't know, tell us what gaslighting is. So gaslighting is when well, you, you just gaslighting is when it's all about it's all your fault. And for me, um, self-imposed. You very self-imposed. Much. Okay. Yeah. Um, like a self-loathing. So man, that's opened up so much, man. I'm, I can't even write fast enough to go over this because <laughs> me, like I have a very varying mix of my audience my podcast is not overly religious but Mm -hmm. my wife and I are God-fearing people Mm -hmm. all the way like we were at church this morning I got saved in prison Uh, my wife has been raised in church her whole life and she's my balance completely and uh, I steer her to new lands of adventure and she pulls my reins you know what I mean (laughs) yeah yes but um but but the guys that listen and the girls that listen to, they know that on occasion I will, I will talk about a higher power. I will talk about God. And again, I don't camp there because I'm trying to reach a wide variety of hurting people. Mm-hmm. But are you in this place now in your life where you feel that those dreams and ambitions that you had of being on the worship team and singing about the forgiveness and the grace of God for sinners like you and I, and still being a pastor's wife, has that dream set sail for you? Or is this still something that you would like to see for yourself? Super I, personal question here. Please. No, it's, it's a, it's a great question. It's one I've definitely thought about. Um, is that for me, like, as I would say, God and I are good. So okay. that's good. <laughs> okay. um, have I found my, <laughs> we're good. <laughs> have I found myself back in a, a church community? No. Um, and that's just me. Do I have, you know, a deep abiding faith? Yes, I do. Um, do I know that it was meant for good? Absolutely. I do. And to be honest with you, if we fast forward or rewind, um, to when I was 12, so five years before the assault happened, the, I was aware that I wanted to do something big in my life. And I knew it would actually have to do with um, raising up men and women, but men specifically to another standard, a higher standard. I felt like that was a shift that needed to be happening. And I wanted to be a speaker. And I can remember very clearly knowing that just in my own heart of hearts, there were some lessons I needed to go through and laying awake at night, wrestling with that, like literally like Jacob did with the wrestling with the angel and had a very keen sense that I was going to go through something. It wouldn't affect my health. It wouldn't affect my family, but that there was going to be a loss. So on some level, especially when I started my healing from this, which was years, it was about eight years that I stumbled through healing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, until I came to that place of radical acceptance and radical forgiveness, um, where I knew that what I was going through would help someone. And so I often post about that in my own stuff or on my podcast, trust the niggle, tell the truth, right? <laughs> should never have let them come. Um, you know, should have learned how to tell the truth, even if it was messy. Um, but more than that, to just come to a place, like if I look at my life now, um, I, I live a life where it's, it's a lot in service, which I think if I really boiled down the pastor's wife, they're in service all the time. Um, do I lead worship? No, but all of that time I spent on stage, I now spend on stage talking about really important things, not necessarily, you know, when you say in one particular space, but reaching as many people as I possibly can. So I think I'm doing that thing. I just didn't see it in my mind. It would have been one church, one pastor, right? One thing. Yes. And it's been much, much bigger than that. And if I think about all the way through the journey, whether it's people I met or, you know, what didn't happen. So there was some stuff that did happen, but there's stuff that didn't happen. And I can clearly see that 
it's been guided the entire way through. That's the key word, guided. My wife and I have pastored churches in our past, and I always felt like, like I'm a great speaker. Whenever I would like fill in for the pastor on occasion and preach, people would come to me and go, wow, man, that was like really like authentic. That was really like cut and dry, practical, like that really helped me. And I started thinking, man, maybe this is what I need to be doing. Right. So like a bulldozer, man, I pushed my, I pushed my way into a couple of ministry positions. And if I'm trusting the niggle and telling the truth, so <laughs> yes. that, um, they were an absolute I mean, blowout, like Mm -hmm. I didn't have any like training at all. Like I, we, we took this one church over in particular and there was like nine people left in there and Mm -hmm. we got to work right away. Like I took the worship service over. I was singing, we were downloading all these hymns off of like this, um, Lifeway Christian resources has all these, has all this music and stuff on there. We're like figuring out how to plug it into the speakers and I have all this music and I'm singing and I'm writing sermons and we're knocking on doors and we're taking like gifts to people. And we're going through all these cards of visitors that had come to the church and the church went from like seriously nine people to like 40 people in a couple of weeks. And then I remember one Easter morning, we had 92 people come out. This isn't a very small, quiet Colorado country town, right? And it got so big and I was working full time and I, and I totally sound like I'm making excuses right now, which I probably am, but (laughs) it got bigger than me and my ability to handle it. Mm -hmm. I am an avid professional at self-sabotage when things (laughs) way beyond my capacity to handle. And I pulled the pin on a hand grenade and actually sabotaged my own self in that situation. And then there was this like, fall off the map, go to a dark place. Mm-hmm. I know I'm called to do this. Why is it not work? Why can't I do this? And then, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're stuck in a dark place for a couple of years. And I mean, you're still a dad and you're still a husband and you're still working and providing for your family and all this yeah. stuff and trying to be a pleasant person. But yeah. here you yeah. are in hell, in darkness, yes. you know? Yeah. And for me, you know, I don't know if you ever struggled with any addictions or anything like that, but like for me, I know just because of the years of 12 to 23, two trips to prison, methamphetamine addiction, needles, like all of that, like my subconscious knows that I can very quickly go to a medicating, a medicating place to alleviate all of that pain, you know, and it was like a total relapse in sobriety just to try to deal with all of it. And then last August, I get not last month, but like the previous August, a year ago, man, I got back on my podcasts and started reading my books and watching the YouTube TED talk videos and all this stuff. And really trying to get like myself on this self-improvement trajectory um, because I noticed there was like a glaring omission in churches to deal with the psychological aspect of man. You know what I mean? It's like, here's sin, here's righteousness, go this direction. But no one ever says, you see that person over there that's living in sin, living in a relationship, they're not married and they're using drugs, like that's sin and that's wickedness, but no one would ever go a layer deep and say, why? What happened in that lady's life to where she's been with five guys? She's got Mm -hmm. nine kids from, you know, eight different fathers and she shows and she's got track marks and, and she can't show up on time. And Like, don't judge, like go deep and find out what traumatic thing happened in her life to mess her mind up to the point where she's stuck in that lifestyle. She doesn't want to be there. She's not enjoying that sin. You know what I mean? Uh Uh, The podcast world opened up. So I got to this place where I started the podcast and I mean, I'm no Joe Rogan, but I mean, the podcast has exploded. Like I wrote a book, I got it published. It's doing well. And my wife tells me, what if this was your calling? Yes. Just like you said a minute ago, in our minds, we have this, the pastor's wife, I'm going to sing the worship, we're going to make it pleasant, and we're going to provide this. It's boxed in how I see it, you know what yeah. I mean? And just yeah. like Joseph, you know, he had, he had Dakota, he was his dad's exactly. child, he didn't see getting sold exactly. into slavery, he didn't see going into jail. And it ends up being, a, and I reach more people with what I do now than I would have ever did with what I was doing, you know? How do you feel about that? It's, that's, that's it. That's, that's, it's it completely for me. 
Um, and I feel like I, I always knew I had the gift of discernment, um, mm-hmm. but it had to be taken to another level. Uh, there were things I always knew that, especially as I've sort of emerged to this space, right, with my podcast and some of the things I'm doing, um, it's just, yeah. And I have really resonated always with you know women like Esther, right, for such a time as this. Yeah. But it took her courage to go before the king. Right. And then she had to have dinner a couple of times because she was still too chicken to say anything. Right. <laughs> and I feel like I could relate to that, uh, you know, because sometimes I'd be like, I know I should talk to this person, but I'm not ready yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think about that a lot. And to be honest, when the whole world kind of collapsed and I had just gone through a breakup, I knew it was what I needed to do. But it sort of opened up for me to finally work on some of this stuff. And it wasn't as scary when I finally looked inside, but it basically ripped me open. And I felt like, you know, energetically and finally have been able to deal with the healing. And that's allowed me to start telling the truth on a whole nother level. And like I said, to to use words and things that normally people won't talk about. And they'll say, you're very brave. And I'm like, yeah, for such a time as this, like I, we have to. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So you were talking about like anxiety, um, just from the notes in the bio, we got like things that you dealt with, anxiety, depression, shame, letting go, all of that. Have we mastered Mm -hmm. these things or do they still percolate from time to time? Yes. Yeah. They percolate for sure. I think at this point though, they, they don't run me like they used to. Right. So when a day comes up and I feel, feel sad or I feel what I would, you know, call depression, um, I'm okay to sit with it now, right? Like I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. This is part of who I am. The the And my dad's been really good about that. He'll talk about, you know, you're highly creative. So you're going to have these amazing ups. You can go on a stage and you can, you know, hold space for this energy and speak in a powerful way. You're going to be tired and you're going to have down days because out of those down days, that's where the, the stuff comes through, right? It's when I'm laying there and all of a sudden like, oh, I can finally hear the voice. There it is. Okay. This is the next step. This is what I need to do. So I've come to learn that it's okay. And it's just part of how I'm wonderfully made. So rather than being afraid of it or resisting it, I sit in it Mm -hmm. and I'm grateful for it. And I'm like, what is this going to teach me today? What is the lesson? I was running too hard, too fast, too busy. And I needed today, you know, this week to just be, I didn't want to talk to anybody today. Why? Because I need to hear my own heart speak. Right. Yeah, um, yeah, that's the trick. Anxiety so. has become when I'm out of sync with my own integrity. Like it's like a lightning bolt. I'm so grateful for it now, but I spent so many years ignoring it and trying to deal with it because of what it was telling me time was just stop, Candace, stop and heal, stop and trying to hide this thing that you need to just talk about. And if you wear it like armor and you say, Hey, today it's, it's changed the world right down to, let's say I have a meeting today. And I wake up and I'm feeling very depressed or anxious or any of those things that normally people would just fight their way through. That's not loving me. That's not taking care of me. That's not being honest for sure. Mm -hmm. And I have discovered if I say, Hey, today I'm struggling with depression, anxiety, you name it, whatever it feels like in that moment, Mm -hmm. people tend to come back and go, wow, I have never met someone who's so honest, transparent. And I go, well, it's not fair for you. It's not fair for me. I'd love to reschedule. Can we, <laughs> and then the relationship with that person is entirely different moving forward. They're like, you'll talk about anything. I'm like, oh yeah, yesterday I wanted to kill myself. It's okay. I realized I needed to take a good long break. <laughs> I needed to eat and get some sleep. I'm good today. They're like, what? And I'm like, it's not. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> it's good to know there's, uh, there's other people out there that, that their minds race fast like that. One thing you said a second ago was, the anxiety comes from when you're being out of sync with your own integrity. Yes. This is something that like, 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 a, like a flashing light went off in my head. Just this last year, um, I get to this place, my depression, mm-hmm. I don't know if I call it anxiety. Like um, my mom would have anxiety attacks, you know, when I was young and, and, and I don't get those very often, but I'll get, I'll get that feeling sometimes that I've done something wrong. I'm doing yes. something wrong. I'm not in the moment. The hammer's fixing to come down. I don't know how, yep. what I did or whatever, but mm-hmm. then there's other depression moments and then there's shame moments. And like you said, man, those are the three nails that we nail into the coffin of our life. 
mm-hmm. to keep us down. And yep. for me, what I noticed was those three negative toxic feelings are always, almost always, a direct result of me living out of sync with my core values as a man. Let me give you an example. Okay. This is really going to either kill me or help me with my podcast audience. <laughs> I was like, we're getting to the good <laughs> stuff now. This is good, Nick. So, <laughs> right. Cause I, I still have, I still have a, a very good following of Christian people that I know from yeah that listen and stuff. But um, so I was already upfront with the relapse that happened in 29. That was just me being so broken at what I perceived was my inability to do something that I thought was what I was supposed to be doing. But I let that go. That, that doesn't, that, that's not such an issue these days. Um, what will get me is every once in a while, I'm that it's been an 18 hour day in the oil field. I'm exhausted. I've worked hard. I've handled my responsibilities. Dang it. I'm going to get a six pack and have two or three beers tonight just to unwind. And then the next morning, I feel like crap because I don't drink very often. Alcohol really knocks me down. I yeah. don't, get, I don't get up and do my jog in the morning. Mm-hmm. I, I'm dehydrated and exhausted all day. I know that. And then then I'm feeling like, Nick, you know that you don't want to drink. You drank. You just violated your core values as a man. And now you are not the apex man that you are claiming yourself to be and projecting yourself to be on your apex masculinity podcast that you do. And then I go into a funk. And that entire day, I won't do anything productive because I'm in this funk and it's very important that because we have to know our triggers for when we're going to step out of our integrity, because when we step out of our integrity, if I'm hearing you right, when we step out of our integrity, the anxiety, the depression, and the shame, bam, they resurface quick. So I have to learn my triggers, which is exhaustion is one of them and really be like super focused and practice consequences and look on the backside of the decision mm-hmm. to have that drink and say, you know what, it sounds really good now, but in the morning, you're going to take, it's going to take a day from you and it's going to take an entire second day just to get your confidence levels back and get back on track with this brand that you're trying to build mm-hmm. into people's lives and stuff like that. So I totally get that. I totally get where you're going with that. Mm-hmm. So um, living your truth. Oh yeah. Let me ask you this. Hmm. What, what would be something that if you have, you have an entire audience right now of people mm-hmm. that if someone is stuck, what advice would you give them? They're stuck in this place where I like what my life is now is what yep. it's always going to be. I will never be able to come out of this pit and get to a successful, fulfilling place of achievement in my life. What would you say to somebody like that? Well, first and foremost, I want to tell them that you create your world with your word. That's how the world was created with sound, Um, you know, spoken into it. It's true, right? Spoken into existence, vibration, sound, that's sound. So when you say something like even internally, especially internally, I am stuck. The meaning of the word stuck. And this is what got me out of where I was negatively is I know my name, Candace means glittering, glowing white. And in the Bible, she was, she was a queen. Queen She's on top. Queen Candace. And that mattered because I was like, I would not be called this name yet. Given this current thing that I'm dealing with, because you asked about addictions, mine was sex. So I continued to wound myself after I'd been wounded. The one time I continued to do that. So, but my name is glittering, glowing white. So pure, which is what I felt I had lost based on how I was raised. So knowing that had a huge impact on how I moved through my original healing, even though I was stumbling forward most of the time, I was like, I will be this person because this is my name. So by the same token, the word stuck literally means stick and you can break a stick. It's like a twig, right? That's a stick. So when someone says, 
I'm stuck. I first and foremost say, no, you were fearfully, wonderfully made and you were created in an I am presence. So why would you put those two words behind a word that literally means nothing? Right. You're stuck by sticks, which means you can just walk out. Right. So that would be my first thing. But they've got to come to that space. Right. And then I would be honest and say, it's going to suck for a while. Right. And I want to be honest about that because I think when people look at someone like you or someone like me and we project a certain image forward, they don't know that I was assaulted 17 years ago. So the girl that they see now is right. 20 years in between that to this. And there were certainly highs, there were certainly lows, you know, relapses, forward momentum, all those things. And so I'd want to say, you'll get to a place where you're in a great relationship with a partner who loves and respects you and doesn't throw your past at you. You don't even throw your past at you anymore. You don't feel defined by it. You feel empowered by it because you know it was meant for good. You're going to share it for good. You're going to impact the world. You love yourself. You love yourself all the time. You say amazing things to yourself and you'd never say things like I'm stuck, but I can remember being in that space. And I made a promise to myself that I knew it was going to be bad. I knew the healing was going to be tough, but I had already lived through something that I thought was going to kill me and it didn't. So I could also move to the space where it would be okay. So I remember when I was lying on the floor and had a knife against my wrists and it was my cat that wouldn't leave me alone, which is why I didn't do the thing, got up and finally made the phone call to somebody and said, I need help. I need to deal with some stuff. It's scary was introduced to an amazing woman who helped me you know, work through that so that suicide was no longer a challenge. I worked through the triggers, as you say, right? Worked through all of those things. So I started to make better choices and move my life forward. But it was in that moment that I remember thinking, I'm gonna get up off this floor. That's the first thing I'm gonna do. I'm gonna put the knife away. I'm gonna make a phone call. After the phone call, I said to myself, you're gonna finish this because if you don't finish this, then all of those people who wanted to take from you win and you need to win for you. Even if you don't love you right now, because I didn't. <laughs> and I said, one day I'm going to be happy and I'm going to laugh a lot. And I'm going to think of that moment every time. And so when I was lying on bed, moving through all kinds of other stuff, right? All the healing, I would think one day I'm going to laugh one day I'm going to laugh and I can remember the day yeah. during my healing journey where I laughed for the first time, a real one, not a fake one that you do because you're in public and somebody says something funny, but a legit laugh. And I was like, oh my gosh, I laughed. And it might've been months before I found enough, you know, to space to laugh again. But now I'm to the point where I laugh all the time and people are like, you think you're funny. I'm like, oh, I do. <laughs> and you don't know why I think I'm funny. But I made myself to that point. So I guess I would say to the person, it's possible, it's hard, but you have already lived through a hard thing. Yeah. So do it this time for you. And please use words that are going to empower you rather than I am stuck. You right. can say I'm right. Just <laughs> I will be free one day, whatever it needs to be. But sure. of course, we could dive into all that kind of stuff. But that's what I would say to that person. Okay, so a couple things that I pulled out of that while you were talking. One thing I wanted to mention before I forgot, and I shared this um, with someone <laughs> recently, going back to leveraging tragedy yes. to building this amazing life. Someone yes. once said that those whom God would use greatly, yes. he, must, he must first wound deeply. Yes. You know okay. what I mean? It's almost like you have to kind of go through yep. some of this really traumatic and heartbreaking stuff but the danger is to not get stuck there but to kind of latch on to that love that exists all around us you know and yep. it's above us it's around us and really just believe that no matter what's happened in your life like there is there is a power a, a power of love that is cheering us on every day to get up it doesn't judge us it's not shaking its finger at us it's not saying you did this yesterday I mean, there are days when I'll have an epic blowout and then like, I, if I'm not careful, 
like that voice, that self-sabotaging, mm-hmm. self-limiting, condemning, loathsome voice. I tell my guys on Apex Masculinity, there are two men living inside each of us. Yeah. Both of them are hell-bent for domination and control. Yes. The one that you feed will live. And we're going to go into the feeding the right man thing. But to, to not get stuck in this place of because I did this or I was a part of this or I suffered this, I am now officially condemned and forever doomed to be stuck. But actually, there is a power beyond all of it that is telling me clearly, yes. come, come mm-hmm. up and come out of this. Three things that you mentioned when you were talking about making that phone call when the cat was when the cat was your only support pillar at the time yeah, pretty much <laughs> you got up and you made the phone call what i'm seeing there is an immediate realization a wake up call the awakening moment where you need help and with that one phone call you were able to get someone in your life that changed your network your network associations just changed because now rather than staying by yourself and not sharing this or sharing it with a few people and not getting any support, you finally connected with the right person that you were able to get some support and help from who was that person. And how did that go? Uh, Well, I made the phone call. I mean, and there's lots of phone calls, right? Like if I do an episode like this, I'll post, you know, there's one in your area. So I made the phone call and I got introduced to a psychologist who uh, was an incredible woman just an incredible woman. And I felt an incredible amount of peace when I met her. She didn't judge me. Mm-hmm. She didn't minimize anything that had happened. Um, and I was committed at that point to making the change. And what was interesting to me is all of the things I had been kind of doing. I already had a journaling practice. I already worked out. I already avoided alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had just moved into a new house. And so since my challenge was always having the wrong men around me then I had made myself a purse I bought a really cute condo mm-hmm. it was awesome it felt like I was a princess in a castle just the way this condo was and I made myself a promise if I was going if I was going to fall off the wagon and I was going to be with someone I would hate myself in the morning for I was not going to do it at my apartment I would go to their house <laughs> and I would go home. That was my rule. <laughs> okay. It was a great rule because I had started to set up boundaries, even right. though I was falling off the wagon, at least I could come home and cry and hate myself at home. Right. But so right. there was one space I had got a cat because I didn't trust myself to be alone, who ended up being a really good decision. Because Obviously, she wouldn't you're right. Me. She saved your life. <laughs> she did. She did. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, she was lovely. Anyway. So when I realized some of that, and so I would want to say that to a person who's feeling like, I'm like, look at what you've already done to survive up until this point. And she was really good at that. She's like, you've already set yourself up. So rather than eight sessions to get through it, we finished in seven. And in seven, she said, you've got this. Mm-hmm. You're probably going to relapse. You're going to have years of dealing with this, but just stay committed to this girl you want to become yes. and you will get there. Yes. And that yes. was great mm-hmm. because it, it started me on a journey. And like, you're right. I started hanging out with different people. I had different books to read. I had been inspired and I had somebody who looked me in the eye and said, you're not damaged. And she was professional. So she must be right. 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 You're going to go through some of the stuff. You may need to adjust some of your beliefs about yourself and the world. And here's how you can do it. And so she gave me tools Yes. and then empowered me and said, go do it. Here's my number. If you get in trouble again, And that was a huge step to start moving in the right direction. Having someone tell you, look you straight in the eyes and Mm -hmm. not say you better not fail again, but actually tell you, you know what, this is pretty deep and it's been going on for a minute and there's a chance that you could again. And if it does, I'm a safe place for you and you're okay because it's like, it's like two steps forward, sometimes one step back. Or it's like months and months and months of okay. And then you go to a dark place and then you make a bad decision. And I tell guys, look, man, when you, when you're coming out of the negative toxic man and trying to be the better man, it's a fight. Like, and you have to get in close enough to get punched in order to land punches. And yeah, no, that that's, that's grace. That that's Mm -hmm. the best definition of grace somebody ever shared with me is Grace, mm-hmm. room to grow. It's room to grow, space to grow. Another thing, another thing you mentioned was 
um, you realized that the journey was going to take some time. And I think you even used the word, it was going to suck. But what I see there is on the front side of that, you are making a committed decision that this isn't an overnight fix to come out of this negative. Please don't get upset for me using the word toxic. It's one I use with my audience, like, cause for me to, 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 but anyway, so to come out of like negative, you know, um, negative living or negative mindsets to this, to, to evolving into this better person, this person that you want to be, that you know, you're called and destined to be, to know it's not going to happen overnight. This yep. is a journey of progress. So one, you changed your network. Two, you committed to the distance of time it was going to take mm-hmm. to get there. And the third yep. thing I heard was you were committed to the work of self-improvement with the books, the therapist, podcast. You probably went on a deep dive and started just consuming content, really getting the neuroplasticity of your brain reformed. And the thing that struggles with, I struggle the most, it's like a pet peeve for me. I'll, I'll meet a guy at work and they're struggling with pornography or they're struggling in their marriage or they're struggling with their money. And I'm like, Hey, you know, I know this podcast, like I'll forward you the link. And it's not even my podcast. It's somebody else, you know, and listen to it. And they just kind of look at me like deer in the headlights. crickets. (laughs) They're like podcasts. Like I don't have time for that. And I mean, you'll sit and listen to the Howard Stern show or some really polluted, negative, toxic radio show, but you won't take an hour a day and listen to something that is going to rebuild the neuroplasticity of your brain to believe that you are destined and able to be a better human being. And it, oh, I just want to hurt. I know <laughs> like, some people are stuck because they want to be stuck. That's, that's the truth. And, you know, I didn't want to be stuck anymore. I didn't, I didn't know how I was going to get there. Uh-huh. And I, I like to talk about, you know, the fact that it's going to take a while, right? If a woman calls me and says, I think I'm ready to leave my toxic marriage. And I think, Oh, honey, like see you in five years. Good luck. Hang on. Right. And it's because it takes time. And I think if, when people think it's going to be an easy fix, then they get discouraged. And I don't want them to get discouraged. I want them to know it's going to be tough because you can, we can do tough. We do hard things. We did hard things to get to this point. <laughs> so right. really important for me to talk about that. Talk to me about the plot twist. The plot seeing, twist. Yes. I'm seeing this in your bio here. The plot twist <laughs> thing that your producer sent me. So, uh, nice lady. Yes. We had a little chit chat with her too, but um. Talk to me about the plot twist. What is the plot twist? Uh, well, that's when life basically comes in and goes, makes you go plot twist. <laughs> you didn't see it coming. It's um, your greatest gift. That's what it says. And that's what it says about that. The plot twist can be your greatest gift. gift. Um, well, I think if I look back on it, the first plot twist was the sexual assault. Right. Because it set me on a trajectory, even though it was hard to uh-huh. this place. To where you're um, at now, the work that you're doing now, helping women and stuff like yes. that. Okay. You know, um, waking up one day and realizing I'd, you know, been left cheated on and $350,000 worth of debt. That was a plot twist. Didn't oh. see it coming, but yeah. Um, but it, it, you know, again, it was meant for good. And I can remember thinking, you know, in that plot twist specifically, well, I already served till now and it hasn't taken me out. So this won't either, you know, and having people say to me, well, just give up and you know, just claim bankruptcy and just let it be done with. And I was like, no, I have personal dignity and I've fought hard to get here. I will figure out what I'm supposed to do and learn right through that. Um, you know, my daughter being born plot twist, right? This amazing human being, <laughs> uh, changed my world realizing while I was pregnant with her, that my husband was not who I would be spending the rest of my life with. And that was a plot twist, right? So these things that you don't see coming, And then how, when you move from them or through them or for them, depending on, you know, whether they're positive or negative, Mm -hmm. those are the game changers, those moments. That's it. Okay. Being able to realize that the plot twist is actually, as Tony Robbins says, if, if you realize that everything in the universe happened for you, not to you, then you could see even the worst tragedies as launching pads to totally get where you want to be in life. Okay. I've got another question for you. And this question is for my wife because she is my number one fan. That's awesome. Yeah. Yep. She listens. She listens every morning. Um, and, uh, and you know, sometimes, uh, 
uh, she won't, she, she's not a critic of, you know, oh, they're great. They're wonderful. I'm like, you're my wife. It's a biased opinion. I need you to let me know. Am I doing okay here? You know, but she's my best fan and I love her to death. But something that I think not only my wife struggles with, but tons of moms is mom guilt. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know if there's a way to fix you happy people from this. Like, how do you deal with mom guilt? The pressures of what society is telling you. Now, this is a man's perspective. So you can totally spin this off, chew it up, like destroy it, whatever you want to do. But in my, when I think about what mom guilt is, I'm guessing society is pressurizing women to be successful entrepreneurs in the workforce. And at the same time, women are okay, I guess I can do that because women are perfectly capable of doing that and they're really good at it. But at the same time, I think there is this inner biological sense within a mom that says my first and foremost importance is my children, my home, this space being, you know, if I'm just going to come out and say it, you know, my wife and I have a very traditional marriage perspective. You know what I mean? Like, she doesn't want to like chase all these wild things. She wants to be a support pillar for me, not because I make her do that or whatever, but she finds fulfillment in being that person. You know what I mean? So now they're out of balance because they have to do this and that and this and that. And rather than doing two things like we did back in the 1930s, we're doing 10. So none of those 10 things are getting our very best. And we feel like we're failing not only with mom guilt, but guilt in every arena that we're supposed to be giving ourselves to. Did I kind of get close? Am I close with that? You're close. You want to speak to that a little bit? 100%. Uh, so for me, uh, when I, got, I always knew I wanted to be a mom. And then I sort of had to fight my way back to that point because I had a great career. And then I had kids a little bit later in life. Um, but I knew that was the job. That is the job. Um, but not just, I'm so grateful for the moms. My mom is one of them. Um, mom, it's all she wants to do is, is like raise babies, be present. Mm -hmm. And I recognize that I have been called to speak, but I also feel called to be a mom, which I remember the day after my daughter was born, I thought all of these big dreams and callings would just disappear and like fade away. And I would get to be a mom. Nope. I remember waking up and thinking, I'm tired. I'm sore. I'm exhausted. Sound <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>, like my wife. <laughs> and I still want to create and speak and do all of these things. None of that went away. In fact, I would look at her and think, I need to do better. I will do better. I will be more honest, more authentic, more real mm-hmm. for her, which was Mm-hmm. a little bit challenging to come to a place of peace with in my own mind and my heart, because some moms, you know, the ones that are the earth mom, they want to stay home and, and keep so much respect for them. Mm-hmm. I think I would personally go a little bit crazy, not yeah. my calling. Yeah. However, I love that I can pick up the phone and call my mom. And she's like, yep. And she just, it's this space. So I think it's about community. I think it's about, you know, really recognizing that. Mm-hmm. And also for me learning to say, for me, there's more, but I look at my daughter and she has a big mission. I know that like, as soon as she was conceived, I was tired. And I remember thinking, wow, you're a game changer. And <laughs> I, <laughs> I need to live in a way that shows yeah. what's possible. Sure. Well, I can't play small. I can't play shy. I need to go and do those things. However, mm. I've also been sort of smashing through a lot of the, um, you know, sort of ideas, I've taken her with me. She's been to conferences. She's been to more countries in the world than other people. I've spoken with her on my hip and people are like, you're going to go and do that. I'm like, yes, I am empowered to show you, you do not have to give up on your dreams, whether that's being at home, then go be home, honey. Like that's cool. Or being up on stage. And one of the first times I told my story about the sexual assault, my daughter was on stage holding my hand. How old was she? Three. Is that okay? Okay. And obviously I used words that were appropriate. And I said, you'll need to read the entire story. But mm-hmm. when I was 17, something that was very precious mm-hmm. was taken from me yeah. by a boyfriend. And mm-hmm. she's just stood there and she held my hand. And I said, but you want to know why I'm talking about it now? <clears throat> this little person. 
because mm-hmm. more people need to hear about it more. And we went into this whole story and she was like, so happy just to be there. And that's when I really realized I don't need to separate the two for me. She needs to be fully present. But if I think about it, if I'm living in full integrity, mm-hmm. the fact that I'm a mom, it's part of my mission. So I can look at another mom and go, you have a mission. Great. Take them with you. Yeah. I love How it. Was you for a reason. Like that's your kid for a reason. <laughs> yeah. They have a mission that's going to be included in what you've been called to do. So yeah. trust that and yeah. move forward. My wife and I had a discussion several years back and I think she's completely in alignment with what you had said. Like she wanted to be a mom and stay mm-hmm. home, provide this very safe and nurturing place. But mm-hmm. she is a very you know busy-minded person and she found mm-hmm. herself extremely like bored and she almost felt guilty of the fact that she was bored being a homemaker. Like, is this, is this acceptable to say that like, I'm feeling bored to be a stay-at-home mom. So we got to thinking and decided that uh, she would go back to school and she would get a teaching degree. So she got her degree two years ago and Mm -hmm. now she gets to teach. She teaches at a Christian private school. She's got a, yeah, snotty, little snotty nose, little first graders that she's got to teach Mm -hmm. how to read and stuff, you know? And uh, she, and it's taxing. She's tired yeah. a lot. It's like, she tells me, you know how you feel after you preach for an hour or do a podcast for an hour, how you're exhausted? Try doing yeah. that for eight hours a day. You know what I mean? And I'm like, okay, I get it. So she's tired, but she gets to come home and we race through all the night routine, the homework, the baths, the showers, the dinner, all that stuff. And yep. connection time is very low during the week, you know, and we try to make up for it on the weekends and stuff like that. But then summer comes bam. And she gets to be a mom all summer long where someone, if she would have chosen another career field, Mm -hmm. business administration or something where she's got to be there all the time, she wouldn't get that. So we really feel like we got a good deal. Like we figured out a way to get the best of both worlds. You know, by the end of the school year, she's exhausted. She's ready for a break. By the end of summer, she's exhausted, staying home, you know, like, Well, I mean, I was blessed because my mom, uh, you know, I grew up on a farm, which was great. So I was home educated. So I spent a lot of time with my parents, my grandparents, people in the community. So I was sort of set up to realize that nothing gets done in a bubble, right? Um, you know, harvest time, if somebody's still had grain on the ground and it snow was coming, you just went over and helped. Like it was just part of it. So calling for me to say, hey, I got a meeting that's popped up. I need someone to come, you know, watch an art. It's just part of the part of it but my mom worked permanent part-time nights as a nurse because she's also a nurturer and healer mm-hmm. but she chose that giving up sleep so she could be present most of the time for us mm-hmm. but my grandparents buffered for the days that she was sleeping but my mom also supported my dad because she created the home space so I've also seen you know a powerful relationship she balanced the books she was a powerhouse so when I look at myself and I think of all the things that I'm choosing to accomplish, I'm like, well, I had like, my, my mom was my superhero, right? Like my dad was the protector. My mom was a superhero. And that's the kind of life I want for Anara, where she goes, you know, how much impact did my mom's, you know, grit have on how I chose to move through the challenges that I've been through. Right. So I think a lot of times when we get stuck in that mom guilt, we might miss the bigger lesson. Um, and it's just like you say, for you and your wife, finding that space that works and then being okay with that. Yeah. Knowing that it's not going to be perfect either direction. Nope. You just make the best of it and they're okay with it. And the kids. Yeah. And that goes back to that over, over caring kind of thing. Like yeah. um, the generations are different than they were yep. like back when I was like, I tell my kids sometimes like they'll say something and I'll be like, do you realize that if I would have said that to my mom or dad, I'd be looking for my teeth on the ground. You know what I mean? And I, yes, I'm, letting I do. Kids, <laughs> I'm letting my kids get away with bloody murder sometimes because I, I like I'm so overly not yes. wanting to be the guy that trauma tra- traumatizes yes. my kids by being overbearing and mm. we don't know what we're doing, man. We're just figuring this out as we go. <laughs> when you, there's no manual. <laughs> no, there's not. But when you know when you're okay with yourself and you're okay with the fact that nobody knows what's going on, yes. we're all just doing the best that we can. You give yourself space and room to grow. Yep you know, and you're just trying to be a little bit better tomorrow than you were today, than you were yesterday. And you're progressing down that trajectory of becoming a better person in all the areas, all the hats that you wear, you're doing the good work and it doesn't have to ever be perfect. It's just 
the trajectory of wanting to be better, you know? So before I let you go, before I let you go, I got to ask, um, and then we're going to get into how people can connect with you and all of that stuff. But what are you reading today? Do you like books? Are you reading books? I love books. Yes. Like self-improvement, like personal growth and development type stuff. Yeah. I I can't do the other stuff. It's a waste of time. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a mom. I don't have time. Um, yeah, I, well, the last uh, book you read, if you're not reading one currently, the last book that you read that was really good, self-improvement based. Essentialism. Um, essentialism. Okay. Yeah. Greg What's, Kino. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's the, just, it's. Go ahead, please. It's, it's like, um, so it's sort of minimalist, but a next level. Okay. Um, and it's basically asking the question, what's important now? and stressing that most of the things that we do pay attention to, et cetera, doesn't actually matter. And so for me, um, because I spent so many years on running, trying to run away from everything else, I had filled my life with distractions. And frankly, the world is full of distractions. Yeah. And if you look at anybody who's successful, um, whether it's in their marriage, right? You focus on one person right? If their family is the priority, people prioritize. And originally the word priority, in case you can't tell words kind of matter to me, but there was one, it was priority for the longest time. And it was only in recent years that we got priorities so we could prioritize, but we can't actually focus on more than one thing, right? We know this. So for me, it was about dialing down, which had to do with, you know, boundaries and all that other stuff. And so this book, Essentialism, really helps you. It's kind of a guide to simplifying your life. So he talks about less, but better. And I saw that. So when I, you know, sold the big house and moved into my tiny home, when I stopped spending money and adopted a minimalist lifestyle. Now, granted, that was partly because of where my finances were. And so I needed to make drastic choices so I could reallocate my resources where they needed to be, right? Whether it was to my child when I left my marriage or whether it was rebuilding my credit post the other one. Um, those were those were things that taught me a lot about how much I didn't need to be very, very happy. And that was interesting to me because we're told we need all of these things. We need to be doing all these things. We subscribe to the cult of busy mm-hmm. and but space, like the reason books have margin, like space on the side is because if, if you look at a page and there's letters that go all the way to the edge, people get anxious. You need margin. You need space in your life. Granted, <laughs> you do. You need margin. You need time. And so, like, for example, when I started to realize that I had grouped my, my quiet time with my kid time, rather than realizing, no, I actually need to set aside time for a nap or I need to set aside time for this. Um, my whole world opened up and I have been able to say yes to the things I actually want to do in my life. And I, when you're saying yes, the things you want to do in life, things that line up with you on an integrity level, then things like the depression goes away. You won't be as tired. That's what's crazy. I'm an introvert. And so when I'm, when I say yes to something that's out of alignment, I feel tired and I'm like, wow, okay, thank you. Um, Then I need to back up and (laughs) say, actually, I need to say no, because that's not in alignment. And so for me, it's actually my fourth read um, through it, because every time I read it, I realize, oh, I'm out of integrity there. I want less. And so what's amazing is now I'm homeschooling my daughter and I've actually structured my life and my business so that from 10 until four every day, guess who's my priority? Not priorities, my priority. And then after that, I can say, mommy needs an hour to work. (laughs) Mommy needs two hours. Mommy has to go on this podcast and not answer the door. Like I'm not, you will be in trouble if you bother me. And what's interesting is because she knows what's important in my life because I reorganized my life to put my priorities in in place Mm -hmm. is that everything else has begun to flow. And that is a gift I would love to give to everybody. So go read this book. Awesome. So you have your own podcast, correct? Okay. And you talk about stuff like this on your podcast. Okay. What's the name of your podcast? 
it's create the ripple and you can find it anywhere that you would uh, normally stream your podcast. We're also on YouTube. Um, and yeah, we talk about trusting the niggle and telling the truth. So sometimes the conversations are very much, you know, more spiritual, more internal, more about the personal development side. Sometimes they're about tough topics, like telling the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's all about basically, I want to add value when people listen, I want them to walk away and go, that was awesome. Or that book you recommended brilliant. So, yeah. One more time, create the ripple podcast, create the ripple on YouTube, any other social media outlets that people can connect with you on if they want to just touch base. And I just left Facebook because I was like, that's not in line. So they can find me on LinkedIn, which is just Candace Smiley. Um, My website's CandaceSmiley.com and Smiley is S-M-I-L-E-Y. Like, so smile with a Y. So nice and easy. Miss Candace, I thank you so much for coming on. I think we added a tremendous amount of value and content for the listeners and uh, I look forward to doing it again. So I yeah, agree. Have a, yeah. Have a good rest of your Sunday afternoon. I will. Thank you.